welcome to Crime on Prime Time. I'm your host, Kenzie Hughesman, and I'm here with my three best friends. What's up, y'all? This is A-Rod. Malik. And this is Taylor. How we doing, guys? Winnem. Taylor, it hasn't been that long since I've seen you. You know. Yeah. Cool. Less Less than than a, week, I guess. About a week. A week ago, we were out today. I know. And then she left, and I immediately bought kayaks. It was just so much fun. Just, just cool invite, guys. Yeah. And we have two blow paddle boards now. Oh, you, really? Like this morning, I found out. Yeah. How nice. Look at us. One adventure, and we were sold into it. If I want paddle boards, I'll go steal them out of our closet here. Okay. Well, not all of us work at a university where that is available to us. Okay, so before we jump into the question, I just want to make a shout out to the Beating Down podcast because they shouted us, which is so awesome. I had no idea that that was going to happen, and it made my day, and I was so excited, or texting my dad. But the Beating Down podcast, it's two and three of these guys, a little bit older from than us just talking about life what it's like kind of being in that era where your kids are kind of graduating and you have someone at home and just what life looks at, like at that time so it's like hosted by daniel gray and he's hilarious and his son is the same age as carson so when i was going to all of carson's sporting events or whatever that's who like my family would sit with and let me tell you he's funny he was funny listening to in the stands when those kids were playing sports. Give it a listen. Daniel, thanks for shouting us out. That means a lot. Um, so, yeah, listen to the Beating Down podcast. But other than that, Malik, do, do you have a question? See, si, senorita. So the question is, what do you think the world will look like in 50 years in these three categories, government-wise? Socially and technology. You can just do the United States if you don't want to go all worldly with it. Makes it easier. Here's the thing. We're recording this podcast earlier in the day because that's that's what worked for today's schedule. So we're just drinking coffee and not alcohol. So therefore, this question's really tough. This is early in the morning. Huh? How do you get this deep? I am. I already know how it's going to look. Okay, you hit us, A-Rod. I think the whole world is going to be trying to recover from World War Three, in the next 50 years. Okay, fair enough. That's how I feel. I feel like we're going to have a big old recession, too. It's just, it's, the world's just going to be repeating itself, man. And I feel like struggles are coming for the whole world, not just the U.S. See, that's what I'm talking about. That is depressing at, like, 10 a.m. But that's what we're looking for. Like, that's what, like, all the signs are leaning towards, Kins. I know, that's why I don't like to think about the future. But I think we're going to be trying to recover from World War III. Yeah, after war, people come together. This is true. This is that true. is a valid point. Mm-hmm. And you know, technology's going to go through the roof. You can't even fathom what's going to be here in 50 years. Oh, my God. We technology side. Yeah, we already have chat GPT that's yeah, gonna I mean, be out of your job. We're born to now, all the changes. And that was only 25 years. Think about 
the next 50 years. Let's be honest. We might not be alive in 50 years. We'll be 70-something. Well, don't. That's valid point as well. I mean, that's really a gut depression. <laughs> that old? Somebody's not that old. Huh? Okay, the older I get, the more I'm like, you know, 70 is not right. 60 is not that old. 60, 65 is the cutoff limit for me. I hate thinking about the future. Like, you know how every now and then, like, on Twitter, you'll see something and it's like, the world's going to end in 50 years, new study shows. And it scares me because I'm like, okay. This is where I see the world in 50 years. I'm very happy. I have a nice family. My kids are successful. I have a white picket fence house. I'm still very active, even though I'm old. Hiking, probably living in the mountains. Oh, I might even live in one of the little mountain towns because I'll be retired. I'm going to live a quiet lifestyle. And I won't know what's going on in the world around me. And I, I live by ignorance of bliss. Nice I like man. the happy place your head is at. Your head is at. I'm gonna, be on, I'm gonna be honest. I can't really think of myself 50 years from now. I barely know what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Can we hey. talking about what the world will look like in 50 years? Sure. Unless Taylor has something to add. I know that you love these questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My favorite question ever. Hi, guys. Put my input in on the technology side. You know, government. Eh, no idea. Haven't really thought about that. Like Kenji said, I don't like to think about all that. I have anxiety enough, and like in the present, the present yeah. things give me anxiety enough. I don't need to already be thinking about the anxiety that I might have in fifty years playing the worst case scenario game in my head. I do it every day. <laughs> okay. Let's recap the episode, shall we? We watched Law and Order, Criminal Intent, Season 2, Episode 11, Baggage. You know, what did y'all think of Law and Order, Criminal Intent? Not a big fan of it, to be honest. Really? Not... Yeah. I'm still an SVU guy, but it was alright. Yeah. Dude, Mariska, I saw a video of Mariska Hardig. How do you say her last one? Hargitay? Hargitay, yeah. She went to the Taylor Swift concert on the Eras tour. Isn't that cool? That's how cool she is. I didn't know she was a Swiftie. She's a Swiftie. Um, okay. I liked Law and Order Criminal Intent. It was probably one of my favorites we've watched in a few weeks. I like that it cut out all the bullshit and it was like, start to beginning, we're just talking about the case. I learned I... nothing about the other characters. I like that too, that it was just the story. Yeah. I enjoyed that. But I will say, I knew who did it as soon as the freaking episode started because the dude who did it, he does it in every movie, TV show that he's in. He's always the one who does it. So as okay. soon as I turned on, I was like, this motherfucker did it. I already know. I just, I meant to look this up the other day. I just watched the episode, let's see, this will be episode five. I just watched the TV episode for our episode seven. So y'all don't know what that is. Anyways, I'm pretty sure he's in it and he was the bad guy. And I wrote that in my notes and I was like, wait, is that the guy from Criminal Intent in this NCIS episode? He looks exactly, I was like, oh my God. Um, 
But yes, I think he's done it. He he's really good at playing that character. I'm gonna have to like look up his name because I everything I've ever seen him in, he's always it's always him. Era, era, look it up while we recap. You're our, okay. you're our IMB, IMDb guy. Okay, so it starts. This girl has so much anxiety. It's making me. It's making my anxiety fester. This is how the episode opened. Apparently, I didn't wrote write what she was doing, but if I I remember this one way more clearly, and it was just the like looking over her shoulder, like snapping at people. I could feel the anxiety in here, and I was like, "Girl, I'll do the same thing." Every time you, what? I was gonna say she like freaked out when she was writing in her journal, and then she kept freaking out over the phone calls she was getting. Yeah, that's what my next note says. Every time the phone rings, she cries. Um, of course the car stalls in the creepiest, most isolated spot. Could it stall on the highway? That wouldn't have progressed the story any. <laughs> right off the creepy bridge that no one happened to be on. Yeah. Oh man, her death looked absolutely horrific and brutal. Oh yeah, they look like they beat the crap out of her. They like showed that too, like very clearly showed it. I was like, oh shit, she, that looks horrible. She has a harassment complaint out on her ex-boyfriend who is a cop. Running theory is the killer stopped to help her with car troubles. He took her somewhere else, killed her, and brought her back. You know, I never, I never get that. I don't know if it's just a crime show thing or like if that happens in real life. Why do people kill someone and then they put them like somewhere where they can be found easily? Like, why would you think no one's going to look in the trunk? Like, why would you kill her and put her in the trunk of the car? Well, I feel like that's the first place people look. Yeah. But if you don't, if you really don't want to get caught. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you like don't mind getting caught, maybe you're just so like in flux that you don't, you're not thinking. But really, in the, in the trunk. My bet. It was the guy she first ran into at the airport that seemed nice. So I was right there with you, Malik. I called it, too. I was like, I bet it's that guy. He seems like he is suspiciously nice. Nothing about him looks like he's not a serial killer. Everything about him just looks bad. Oh, I found out his real name. He looks that way in real life. What's the actor's name, Rod? Lee uh, Turgenson? Turgenson. Look up if he was in an NCIS episode. Alright, I'll look it up right now. Should look up if he actually ever went to jail. Well, in the in the picture that uh, uh, IMDB puts, he has long hair and he does look like a uh, like a criminal in he these has pictures. Long hair? He cannot. Yeah. He cannot have the long hair look. He 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 do have long hair, and I'm like, this guy definitely has. He plays the role perfect. He's I'll look it up. He, he does it from experience. Yeah, but I. Um, yeah, something about him. It's like if I was a girl and I saw this man, I'd be like, he's like, he's like the douchebag, nice. Like, okay, he's saying the right things, acting the right way, but there doesn't seem like that genuine intent. He knows where those <laughs> nice words are gonna get him. Yeah. So. I call those types of guys the douchebag nice. <laughs> Victim's name is Jenny Sullivan. Ex-boyfriend wanted her to quit her job. They broke up, but he wouldn't stop calling her, hence the harassment complaint. 
The male cop is really observant. He seems like an interesting character. The main guy. I'm not even sure what his name is because they didn't really talk about the actual characters that much. I don't know his name. I like him, though. He's very skeptical about everything. I know. He. I think I write something about a comparison between him and Stabler later. But I, I kind of... His character is, like, really interesting, like, the way he observes things. And I was like, wow, I want to know... I'm, I want to see the character development here. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Wasn't the ex-boyfriend... Wasn't the ex-boyfriend... He was in a meeting at the time of the phone calls. Whoever this new cop is, he seems like a jerk blaming the victim. Okay, so I guess at, like, one point they were in, like... I don't know if it was, like, the captain or who they were talking to at their precinct about the case. And he said something about, like, it being... I guess, like, her fault, or did she ask for it? And I was like, first off, I feel like that is, like, cop 101 is not to say that. Not the did she ask for it. I don't know if that's exactly what he said, but something in there, I, like, uh, my notes are very sparse. But something in there, he said something that I was like, is he blaming the victim for dying in this cop show? Like, you can't do that. And then the, everyone, no one said anything about, hey, man, you can't do that. And I was like, I guess this was the early 2000s, so I guess we'll, we are letting these things slide. There was a ping pong ball in her gas tank, and that's why her car had problems. I didn't know that. That was very clever. Yeah, I didn't know that was like a trick you could do. That was like new to me. Yeah, I had never heard of that. For all the serial killers out there listening, remember that. No, it's people over Just kidding. I've only heard the sugar in the gas. Erase it from your mouth. I've, I've never heard about a ping pong. How would you even get a ping pong in there? Is the gas tank that big enough to stick a ping pong in there? Yeah, that's another thing. How wide is her hole in her gas tank? <laughs> How wide is her hole? <laughs> <laughs> but I found some more information about a good guy, Lee, though. He was on NCIS New Orleans. And he was on SVU. Okay. But he wasn't on NCIS? He was. Uh, New Orleans. No, not New Orleans. The original NCIS. Oh. Uh, I don't think so. I just saw New Orleans. That's all I saw. Okay, well, then the guy in the NCIS episode just looks a lot like him. So there's just, like, a group of guys in this acting community that all look alike, and they all just take turns playing villains on the different shows. But back to our story here. The dad definitely found something in her room and is going to do something stupid. Okay, so this was a little bit of a plot hole to me because it showed that scene of the mom and the dad at the house and he, like, went into her room and then he, like, left abruptly and you're like, oh my god, what is he's going to go kill someone? Like, he found something out and he's going to go kill someone. He's going to hurt himself because he just found something. Like, he found something and something dramatic. And so I was freaking out. I was like, what is this man going to do? And then he did nothing. And I was like, what's the point of that scene? Well, for a second, I thought he was a part of, like, killing her for some reason. I was like, why else would you go be so suspicious? It was a weird scene that amounted to almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I thought we were going to take a turn and he was going to go kill someone. I thought so, too. One of the airline guys. Yeah. Co- co-worker, because that's where her car had to be sabotaged. So that's what they think it's a co-worker because that's the only place that could throw ping pong into her. The ball into her car. 
glow stick comment hinting at the glow stick found in her locker. I guess, like, he was talking about the glow stick with the guy. Like, oh, where did he... And so, and then he found it in the locker. Yeah, yeah then he tried to, like, get her to go to a strip club. So they, like, mess with her about that, right? And something about, like, they do something with the glow stick at the strip club. And they're like, you could do that, too. I don't know. They found, like... She put, like, cardboard behind the vents on her lockers. And they also realized, like, her locker was also freshly painted compared to everyone else's. So I was like, hmm. Suspicious? I think so. Jenny filed a harassment complaint at work, but they told her she was sensitive. This whole episode, I will just preface this now. I feel like I'm just going to be angry the whole time. One, because I know what the story is and the story makes me mad. And so I'm just preparing everyone. This is a warning. I'm just going to be mad the whole time. Like, McCarthy was the harasser. He put urine through her locker and would post and talk sexual matters around. (laughs) Oh, sexual material around. Exposed himself to (laughs) Sexual matters. Yeah, sexual matter. It is. I don't want to type them. It's more fun trying to read my handwriting. Okay, so they would post the sexual, you know, Playboy magazines, cutouts, all those things. You know, he fondled her. He exposed himself to her. I mean, that all just, I don't think, none of that screams sensitive. That all very much screams sexual harassment. It's so bad. They harass her so bad. Jenny was going to go to the state about the group of guys harassing her. And that's what I love about her. It's like, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not weak. Love that about her. The DA won't charge because the harassment isn't evidence of murder. Which kind of a good point you do have to follow the rules yes they're harassed but it looks like they could be them but you have to have some evidence that connects them to the murder too you can't just have like this whole theory also because if it really was them like it looks like and you go to trial and you don't win you can't try them again if more evidence comes up yeah Ira. can i this is where I found my first blooper. Can I talk about it? Yes, you can talk about your first So, at, um, tw- at scene 24 minutes and 43 seconds, you can see when they like, sitting in the office, you see them to rotate the camera, there's that guy with the microphone in the background. And they instantly change it back to the other guy. I was like, huh. I was like, wait a minute. I like rewinded like five times. I was like, I don't remember some guy went a black shirt with like some black like some brown like like cargo pants just being randomly in there that's how they used to record interviews yeah i was like eh. it's like huh it's suspicious that's the that's the first blooper i found i need to take notes like a-rod he had the time stamp and everything <laughs> i got the exact Say, time that happened on a computer it's what you need. but but that's the first that's the first blooper I found. That's a good one. That's interesting. But like I said, that's how they used to record interviews. You just had a guy with boom mic in the interrogation room going, Hey, can you just please 
little up. Can you imagine being that guy in an interrogation? And you're like holding it, and he's like, "I, I did it." And I would be like, "Oh shit!" I, I, I don't think I could not be commentating. And be like, "Can you, can you speak a little bit more into the mic, please?" After he just confessed. Yeah. Can you just go back? Can we rewind by two minutes there and just like restate? <laughs> okay. So Ramsey literally said he didn't think the harassment had anything to do with the murder. Like, how dense do you have to be to be like, I don't see where those two things correlate? So Ramsey didn't report the harassment, then basically called all of her ideas stupid to corporates, but is a so-called feminist. I think that's what also pissed me. This guy just really makes me mad and we'll get, I'm maybe we'll get into it. But his whole thing of, like, oh, I want a strong woman, but, like, she can't be stronger than me. You know? Like, you don't you don't really want a strong woman. Like, you want someone that you can manipulate and probably abuse, and she won't say anything. But also, you think you're above anyone, you know, also like that. He wants other people to think she's strong, and then she abides to whatever he says yeah it's good on the outside yeah and then those women that he thinks he wants then rejects him and that pisses him off and i'm like well because they're smart enough to see behind your douchebag niceness kind of sounds like ramsey told the guys when to harass jenny so i'm like starting i was like he's he's the ringleader here Mr. Feminist over here. So the guys were committing identity theft by stealing. I guess it was an it was an identity fraud, 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 credit card fraud. I guess it really was an identity theft. Was what did they get? But they were stealing the card. Mail, mail theft and fraud. Okay, mail theft and fraud. Okay, because they were stealing the cards. The reports from the mail and Jenny got in the way. It's their theory. Like, now we have this whole other crime going on at the airport. McCarthy rattled Oh, my bad. McCarthy ratted on Walter for tampering with her car. Walter ratted on Stewart for washing his trunk out the day after the murder. Stewart ratted on Martinez for following her car that night. Martinez ratted on everyone for the mail bags and ratted on McCarthy for following her that night. Snitches. They were cracking me up. Loyalty to one another. Snitches. They were cracking me up. The whole time. I was like, oh, they're just, they're like, oh, we're all going down. I, well, that's what, that's what that big guy said at that, um, at that bar. He said, hey, man, if I go down, I'm taking everyone down with me. Okay, dude just, dude got hardcore rejected. This is when they were at, showing him at the restaurant or whatever. And it's definitely the ringleader, so got it, nailed it. Yes. I I got my second blooper. So when they try to arrest him, right, obviously, like, you hear the clacking of, like, the, the handcuffs going around the wrist, right, locking in. Well, when they're walking away, you see his arms behind his back, but he's literally just holding on to the the handcuffs. <laughs> literally, I got it at 34 minutes and 20, I think that's 24, 29 seconds. His hands are just in the little circles behind his back. 
then they're not actually in handcuffs. Hey, Rob, I like how you be paying attention, my boy. Yes, sir. I don't be paying attention to the story. Little things. Little things. The details matter. I kind of like it. Look at your own criminal intent, Jazz. Yep. Dick Wolf, the producer of all those shows, he's going to be calling us out. Like, can y'all cut it out? <laughs> can you stop? All right. So they were selling the cards to the Russians. I will, Why? Just keep that shit for yourself. The goddamn Russians, man. Oh my God. This dude is the biggest douche. Lies about how successful he is. And still can't get a woman and probably thinks it's her fault. Even lying, he can't get the woman. Yeah, he was definitely, his. maybe he was just shooting too high for the women. Because I feel like no matter how much he stole, he can only, like, pretend to be so successful. You don't have that much money. Well, women aren't stupid. You can, you can like, think you look the part. But when you start speaking, that's when they can tell, like, Oh, he's in a, also because women don't like, okay, I guess I shouldn't speak for all women, but like rich people, they don't tell you they're rich, you know, or you don't want someone that sits there and like wants their money. Like, yeah, I would like you to, you know have money but i don't want you to sit there and tell me like oh i have all this money oh i have this oh i have that like that is just that's like a total turn off to me probably like i said i feel like those women like were looking more for like millionaires and he definitely probably no matter how much he pretended he was not in that class no you can't fake it once you open your mouth it's over like you have to be a really good liar or no like have some connection to it where you're at least like on the outside of it and know how those people act to get into that that world i think it kind of takes some like training you can't just be like oh i got a nice suit let me go act like i'm rich and get away with it you're not gonna say the right things you're gonna come off like a douchebag like he was okay so does, does this guy hate women or not i'm confused see this old thing i'm I was a little, yeah, I was kind of confused too, but then it's kind of like the reverse of, I guess, what most men want. He wanted women that didn't want him. I So he liked the chase, I guess. He didn't you want think to. so? Yeah. I don't I think, think he liked the chase thing. because he didn't like it when they rejected him and stole their shit. <laughs> See, he didn't like being rejected, but I think he liked, like, the act of chasing them. Because Jenny, supposedly at the end, like, likes him. Or allegedly liked him, but that's too easy for him. Yeah. Do you think he has like sort of a kink where he likes women that don't like him on purpose? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's just a him thing. I think a lot of guys are like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand why that would. But you know, I'm like kink streaming, but if that's what you're into. I hope that works out. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I would call it a kink though. I don't know. What is it? I don't know. That's just their preference, man. They just like the chase. They like the chase. Yeah, but that, I mean, if you, the chase is what you're about, then, like, how do you then, like, it's either going to end one or two ways. They're going to reject you or they're going to start liking you, but that's going to turn you off because you like the chase. 
exactly. Then so how do you so, find happiness? We're talking about the mental of, of cheaters here is what we're getting into. Oh, they you're like, right. Cheaters, like, they like to chase, but then when the chase is over, they gotta go chase something else. So, yeah. Oh, she definitely would have been a cheater if he had a wife. Okay. So, he steals from the women that reject him? Question mark. A total loser! Exclamation point. I really hated him. I kind of hate him more than, like, the straight up, like, I'm a killer. I just kill for fun. I hate him more than I hate that guy, just because in his head, I've always said this. I would prefer, like, frat guys or guys in college. I always preferred if they were a douche and they knew it. If they were a douche and knew it, we could get along. I mean, I'm not to say I would like have gone out with them or whatever, but I could respect it and we could get along. The guys that really pissed, pissed me off were like douches and, you know, not great to women. But then we're like, no, 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 that's not how it was. And trying to defend, I'm like, just own it. If you just owned it, I would have like more respect for you than like this. But now you're really pissing me off because you think one, you're the victim or you're a nice guy. When clearly you're like, doing the wrong thing here and that's when i would really i hated those guys more than i hated the ones that were like yeah i'm a douche i sleep i, I you know this or that this is personal for kenzie she's getting red this is deep for her <laughs> <laughs> it's not a story it's her real life i told you this would make me angry and it's because the guys like this guy are the ones that piss me off the most okay this cookie thing confuses me. Oh, wait. They were for Ramsey because she had a crush on it. So the whole thing when they were like trying to figure out where the cookies played a role, I was like, why is this such a big deal? Why is this cookie thing a big deal? I still don't think it's that big of a deal, but I guess it just proved she had a crush on him. Um, And then I wrote arrogant asshole with a lot of like question or exclamation marks. This guy cop is so calm. And his calm, it's scary. Because he's not like Stabler, where Stabler just gets mad and is like the tough guy and you just go throw him against the wall. This guy is very calm and it's very alarming. And I would confess anything to him. Oh, he's kind of creepy. Yeah, I could see him turning and becoming a killer. He he kind of did too many hands motion for me. He was like, "Uh, but she cooked you the cookies. So she liked you. I was like, hey, man, don't be pointing those fingers at him. He kind of gives off, like, a Dexter E5. Yeah. Anyways, that's where my notes stop. So, I guess that guy went to jail. Um, I I wonder if, like, the... Because at the end... Wait, hold on. Where are they going with this? I wonder if it's, like, a mental disorder for what he has. Since like no, I don't... it's called a douchebag. You just it's straight up douchebag. Because she likes him, but she likes him for him, not the guy that he's always trying to be. And then that kind of pisses him off. Is what they like try and get at. Is what they try to get at at the end. So I think the other thing was like, I took it as she liked him, and he might have liked her, but she wasn't the ideal woman successful big business corporate woman that he wanted so he didn't like that he was having actual feelings for one of these girls that didn't match his standards and it pissed him off that she would even 
think that she was in the realm of him. That she even had a chance. That's how I took it. I didn't take it as a mental illness. I took it as a douchebag that was like, I'm I'm too good for you and you should know it. You think you have a chance with me? You should see the women I go out with and where I go because I steal people's money to afford it. Does, does Ken know this is a not a real real life thing? It's a real life thing. She's going to tell us her life. It is a real life case, A-Rod, and I'm about to tell you the whole damn thing. But this oh. is based directly from an actual case. And so I'm just going to get more pissed off through this whole thing. I warned you up front, and here we go. <laughs> Taylor, are you there? Yes. Okay, Taylor. <laughs> What's me at? She's <laughs> just going off. <laughs> Taylor, let me ask you this as an intro to my story. We're women in STEM. Facts. And STEM has not always been a woman's um, industry. Um, and we both knew this, and I've had professors, you know, talk about it, and it's sad, and it's changing. Have you ever been not discriminated but have comments ever been made? Have you ever felt that people looked at you differently for being a woman in STEM? That I have any stories personally that have happened to me, anyone doing that to me, but I have colleagues and stuff, especially in college. One of my closest friends definitely had people look at her differently because she was a woman in STEM. So people who don't know, can you tell us what STEM's been for? Oh, STEM. It's like technology, engineering, and math. Yeah, math. Yeah. yeah. So, it's a wide variety of jobs that for a long time were thought of as a man's job. Engineers, scientists, mathematics. Yeah. But now, it's not so much. It's pretty even now, I would say. Yeah, it's pretty even. I work with just as many female engineers as I do male engineers. My job. My uh, company has more female engineers. Well, I guess not my company, my office has more female engineers than male engineers. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I haven't really... I mean... I haven't experienced in STEM. The only thing that's ever been said to me is when my boss told me I wasn't pretty enough to quote-unquote model how to get the clothes. Um, but that wasn't really uh, still you pretty enough for what? Um, this is like your college days. I, at college, I worked at a local pharmacy that was also a boutique. And in the middle of changeover from management... Um, one manager was a little bit older, didn't really know how to work in an iPhone, but wanted to take these pictures of me and my coworker, like modeling some of the clothes to post. I didn't really want to do this. I've never sought out being a model, but whatever. So we did it. They weren't that great of pictures. It was like an iPhone. It was like random and nothing was planned. None of the lighting, whatever. The picture pictures come back and the new manager was like, looks at them and then calls us into his office and was like listen 
these pictures aren't good and I don't have time to put y'all in high heels and fake eyelashes to make them look good. So then insinuated that it was us that made them look bad. <laughs> oh, their Kenzie was heated. I was so mad. I was so mad. How do you say that to someone? <laughs> oh, my stomach hurts. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know high heels and fake eyelashes are what makes or breaks this picture or my beauty. Sorry. And so then he got every other younger woman working in the pharmacy and then a couple of sorority girls. And they had an actual photo shoot with professional photographers, professional lighting and invited everyone in that age range except for me and the other coworker. Damn. <laughs> so there you go but other than that i mean i've definitely have i've worked a lot of jobs a lot of jobs so i've definitely had like bosses that have said things about looks i've worked at golf courses and older men saying and as a lifeguard and older men saying things so it's like a thing that women for the most part deal with right and and uh, for me, my mindset is just like, whatever, and you just keep going to keep doing the job. Wrong mindset, right mindset, I don't know. But when I started looking into this real story, I have never felt so connected or empowered or like, oh my gosh, I want to know her or idolize um, someone from a story, a true crime story, as much as I felt that towards um, our victim in this story, Susan. Oh, shit. I meant to look up how to say her last name. One minute. We got to pull out the little player thing. Anyways, so I am very passionate about this. And I felt connected to it for a lot of different reasons. Um, but today I'm going to be telling you the unsolved murder of Susan. I'm looking up how to say it. Cheriskewitz. Oh, my God. How do I say that? Cheriskewitz. Okay. The unsolved murder of Susan Tereskiewicz. Sorry if I still pronounce that wrong. In 1992, Marlene Tereskiewicz celebrated her 50th birthday at a Boston restaurant surrounded by her husband and three kids, not knowing this would be her last memory with her daughter, Although Susan lived with her parents, she worked odd hours at Logan Airport, often working overnight. But Marlene always knew Susan was home the next morning because there would be a heap of clothes outside her bedroom. However, Marlene just assumed that Susan worked overtime on September 13th when she woke up and there was no heap. But after receiving a call from her other daughter on September 14th, saying that she had been notified that Susan had failed to show up to work, Marlene rushed to the Saugus police station to report Susan missing. Little did she know that the police had already found Susan's body early that morning, beaten, stabbed, and stuffed into the trunk of her car and left at an auto body shop in the town of Revere, close to the airport. Susan, also no, who went by Sue, Tereskiewicz, was born in 1968 to Ronald Sr. and Marlene. 
The family lived a simple but fulfilling life in Saugus, Massachusetts. Ronald sold tractor trailers, and Marlene was a supermarket produce clerk. So, a happy, simple country living. Sue grew up in the in the pink ranch house where she developed a love for arts and crafts. She would make Easter baskets and sew Halloween costumes for friends. She also enjoyed being active by running, playing soccer, and roller skating. After high school, she went to art school to pursue a career as a cartoonist. Ultimately, she put this dream on hold to work at the local airport. Logan Airport for Northwest Airlines. So, already, I want to be Sue's friend. I feel connected to her. She feels genuine. She's a badass. Let me tell you about it. How much of a badass she is. In 1989. Oh, I am not going to tell you that she's a badass yet. Now we're going to go into the history of Northwest Airlines. Are you ready? In 1989, a couple of investors bought out the airline for $3.6 billion. But shortly after, the debt started rolling in as the Persian Gulf crisis skyrocketed fuel prices and the down economy slowed ticket sales. So they bought the airport at the wrong time. It was not a good investment. Sue started with Northwest in May of 1987. So this is two years before they got... Oh, wait. No, no, my bad. Back up a little bit more. Still talking about the airline. Between 1990 and 1993, Northwest lost $1.09 and almost filed for bankruptcy in 1993. She started in Northwest in May of 1987. So this is two years before they were bought out. So before all of this economic trouble was happening as a cleaner. But was promoted to an equipment service employee in December. At this time, women that worked at airports primarily worked as ticketing agents or flight attendants. And this is like a big thing too because... Back in the day, you had to look a certain way to even be like a flight attendant. Because that's really what they promoted was like the sexuality of their flight attendants. And they try to market it as like a seductive thing or a hot thing. Like come fly on a plane. Um, so like the airlines used to have all of their own things wrong about like stereotypes and roles gender roles in the company um so i think an equipment service employee i think they worked like on the ramps maybe they were like the ones like moving bags around i think she was like the one that got to like bring in the plane with the little lights Ooh, I always want that job. That'd be nice. I think that's what this this equipment service employee got to do. I don't know for sure though, but it was it was more hands on than just cleaning, and it was seen as a man's only job. Can't have weak weak women out here throwing bags around. I bet those little, I bet those things are heavy. Waving that plane down, women just too weak to do that. So Sue was one of the first women working behind the scenes on the war amps where she waved planes in and out. Look, apparently I didn't know what it was. She worked with heavy equipment and moved bags and luggage around. Marlene said that Sue would often come home and would say very proudly, I handled 100,000 bags today. 
She's proud of the work she did. Deborah, oh my gosh, Deborah Mazakis, another female equipment service employee. Um, and Sue's friend said that Sue, said of Sue, this is a quote from Deborah, her friend and coworker. The ramp was always known to be a man's job. She wanted to show that she could do it just as well as any man. So this is what I'm saying. This, like, mindset, like, I don't know. She was, like, one of the first to get to do it. She was making progress. She was killing it. She was loving it. So this, like, mindset as a woman, like, I'm, like, drawn. I think that's what makes me drawn to her, makes me feel closer to her because, like, that's just awesome. And it's also, like, not that, it's only in, like, the late 80s, so it's not, it's crazy that we still had, like, this concept of, she's out here doing a man's job. This would prove to be no easy feat, though, as a group of male employees made the work environment a, quote, hell zone, end quote, later described by other employees. They shave, they share break room, they, oh, my bad. The shared break room between male and female employees was covered in naked pictures of women from Hustler and Playboy that male workers would publicly moan and grope themselves to. Oh. 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 <laughs> I stopped nodding my head immediately. Like, oh, I no. Like, even today, you can't do that regardless. But I'm not wanting to get groaning. Yeah, so as men, please tell me how pictures of naked women in public make you want to grope yourself while other people are sitting there eating their lunch. What? Which part of that is? I, I get, like, maybe it, it's cool, like, as men, if you got, like, naked women or whatever posted around, but I'm yeah. not I'm not touching myself and moaning. No, that's where I keep, man. They would also throw women's underwear and tampons around the room. The supervisor was even known to expose himself. He and others' coffees and rub other sandwiches on his genitals. So this is real. This is not the show anymore. This is actually happening behind the scenes. He's like a wannabe locker room boy, is what. Yeah. You know, people like hazing to the full. It's like whatever the worst locker room is. That's who he is. He's the shitty captain. Anyways, so it's already not good. Another employee. Another female employee said that every time she showed up to a shift, she was asked if she'd gotten laid before. But I just thought, I just, why do they have to be like, like I said, just lo- want to be locker room boys to the full yeah. extent? Yeah, this is like the most obnoxious, like, I do picture like high school guys being that, like, oh, did you get like, like no one's asking anyone that on our age typically, but these people are our age. So yeah, it's like an immature mindset of, oh, did you get away? But she doesn't have that immature mindset. So to her, it is very embarrassing. In February of 1989, Sue started recording all the instances of harassment she encountered at work in a personal journal. She kept detailed records, and that's how we know most of this. And affidavits afterwards, an investigation afterwards. In the summer of 1989, she recorded examples of inappropriate graffiti and luggage holds, the bathroom and airplane cargo holds. Later, it would be revealed the graffiti would call Sue slut, whore, or bitch. 
describe her performing oral sex or depict her with her legs spread open. Oh. Okay. So we reported this to Northwest Management, who sent out a memo warning against sexual harassment and graffiti. So basically, like, hey guys, don't do it. Don't do it. Come on. You know better. But other than that, they did nothing. In April of 1989, she described an incident in which co-worker Robert Brooks was so mad that the Boston Bruins lost he picked up Sue's radio and smashed it to the ground in front of the other co-workers. Not the Bruins. Not the Bruins. Sue confronted him, because she's a badass, about buying her a new radio. But all he said was, what's the matter? Is your little punk boyfriend going to beat me up? He's lucky I don't kill him. She did have a boyfriend. I think he also worked somewhere in the airport. Maybe not for this airline. He took no responsibility and said, hey, I did let my emotions fly too much. Um, and I should not have smashed your radio. He was like, I'm going to meet your boyfriend up. Sir reported, this is what I think of them. Sir reported this to Northwest Management, again, who said they intervened by buying her a new radio. Did not say anything to Brooks about his behavior, but it's just like, alright, we'll buy you a new radio. Call it good. Cleared up. Like, that is not the issue. She's not upset that her radio was broken. She's upset that this man thought took this whole other issue and broke her radio. That is the issue. Address that part. His actions. Then the same month, another employee, Joseph Nuzo, started physically fighting two other employees because of a difference in political views. Sue stepped in because she's a badass to break up the fight, and in turn, Nuzo called her a fucking cunt. Oh. Oh, not the C word. He said the C word, and I apologize to all of my family who listened to this, but it's in the script that he said it. I didn't say it. I don't like the word. That is my least favorite word, man. I hate that word. But that's what he called her, because she broke up a fight. How dare she? She's a woman. And there she stepped into the men's realm. Nuzo would turn out to be the ringleader of the small, quote-unquote, gang of Mill employees that made the workplace hostile. In August of 1989, Nuzo threatened another worker for being a Brazilian native who spoke poor English. So obviously, this guy is just, he's seen all of the women, anyone of a different race. I'm sure his political views were interesting. If you don't think like him or act like him or look like him, he hates you for being different. At this point, Northwest finally stepped in to discipline Nuzo's actions. And in the process, Sue testified against Nuzo in the hearing, which eventually led to him being fired. So, you know, after one too many fights, not the first I'm sure not the second, not the inappropriate pictures, not the graffiti. It was probably the third or fourth fight. They were like, okay, we got to do something about this guy. Nuzo directly blamed Sue for being fired. Obviously, it was not his own actions. They continued to harass her outside of work. He uh, keyed her car, slashed her tire, stalked her at her house, 
They made anonymous phone calls. He star 69er. Star 69er. If that's what they had back in the 80, late 80s. Mm-hmm. I, feel like, I feel like that's when it, like, it was a thing. I don't think, I don't know if you can star 69 people still. You can star 69 like, A-Rod and then we'll test it. I'll let the people know what's up. I'm oh, I think it still works. It doesn't work, A-Rod. You can no longer star 69 people. Well, I gotta hang up first, Bleak. Oh, shit, do it again, cuz. <laughs> Alright. Okay. Others said they heard Nuzo saying he would get his revenge on Sue, which I'm sure is very suspect. Like, an interesting thing, for sure. During this time, a Nuzo's rampage, the graffiti at Sue's work continued. Again, Sue tried to fight back by asking Northwest to monitor her phone, which she complied with, which I was kind of surprised. So I was like, yeah, they can do that. They can monitor her phone. But I guess they could. I don't know how things worked back in the 80s, 90s. Sue also threatened to sue the airline if it didn't start cracking down on the harassment in the workplace. Damn straight, Sue. This is why she's a badass. She's, she didn't just, like, let it happen. She didn't say, oh, well, or shrug her shoulders and say it's a part of the job. She was like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong, and I'm going to keep telling the management, and I'm going to keep talking to the airline until it's fixed. And that's what really drives, like, drives me to her, because that's brave. Because, like, I like to think I'm brave, but all the times in my workplaces or experience, I always just shrug my shoulders and, like, whatever, it'll go away, or it's part of the job. And she didn't do that. Like, it is brave to fight back this much. In November of 1989, another employee reported to his union that a pistol target with 11 bullet holes was taped to the fridge in the break room with his name on it. Ooh. Uh, that's a little extreme. Slow, that's a little much. Yeah. I don't know why this particular employee, maybe he was from a different country. Maybe he had different political views. You think they would just, you know, fire everyone and just restart from scratch, but... Oh, but I'm sure that would look bad for the company. Yeah. Again, also, because they're going through a buyout at this time. So that's why I brought that up, because it kind of plays into it. It wasn't like it was a solid and everything was going great in corporate. They were in the middle of a buyout. They had to do everything they had to do to make it look like someone once should buy it. Like, it's a great place, and you do want it. You should buy it. In response, the union met with employees about the tension and published an article about workplace sexual harassment. So again, uh, hey guys, I'm back. Just, you know, y'all know sexual harassment's bad. Don't do it. Just another article. Like, who's even going to read it? Who's going to read it and pay attention? That's not doing anything. That's not solving any of the problems. Although they did fire Nuzo, so... In the meantime, Northwest is negotiating with Nuzo, and in January of 1990, they settle on an agreement that his firing would be turned into a six-month suspension without pay, allowing him to come back to work in March. Northwest 
attorney explained this agreement was made because the employees were so split between Nuzo lovers and haters. So this was a compromise between the two factions. However, Sue and, other, and others continued to file reports about harassment at work. Didn't stop. In February of 1992, Sue was promoted to ramp supervisor, the first woman to hold this position. As the ramp supervisor, she now managed those she was working was working on the tarmac with, including Nuzo and Brooks. So now she was everyone's boss. This new position did not come easily, as nothing would in the um, airport. She originally didn't get the promotion. But after learning a man had illegally been on the job, Sue fought for what was right and not only won the job, but won back pay. So they just, like, so I didn't really understand this part because I don't understand all the union things. Because, like, the articles I read were talking about, it wasn't, like, a union within the airport. It was, like, an outside union that I think you pay dues to and they... So, there's only... Like only 10% is left of like unions and only one in 10 American workers are, are still in a, in a union. So it's not as big as it used to be, but there's some that are still around. Yeah. I never, I always knew like they're there to protect the workers, but I never knew like really how it all worked. And the way these articles, like it was kind of confusing. Cause it was like this outside union, but like, they weren't really doing anything either, and Sue had told them, but they weren't really doing anything about it. But something about a, ma- a man bid for the job late, I don't know. I didn't get the whole thing, but somehow something illegal happened with a hiring process. I don't know if he, like, bribed people and paid, like, a certain amount of money to get his name thrown in and picked, and Sue found out, and that's what... But somehow this man illegally got this job or not illegally but like wrong ethically wrong fully got this job and sue found out and sue was not just gonna sit by and go like oh that sucks she was like no this is wrong and i want to fix and i was clearly the right person for the job and obviously she had enough to prove her case because she got it and the airline paid her back pay for like a whole year yes what year are we in right now 92. Because I was wondering, because I know there's like an act, it might be Title IX, about like proper hiring and stuff like that, not discriminating against people. I wonder if that's what they mean by he was hired unfairly, or if that's what she means. Maybe. Be a violation of that. But I don't remember when Title IX started off the top of my head. But I think it's somewhere around here. Sue was a great employee and had earned the promotion. Deborah had described Sue as this is another quote from Deborah, her friend and co-worker. She tried in vain to create a collegial atmosphere. Quote, she bought, brought presents when co- co-workers had babies and cakes to celebrate birthdays. She even uh, carried around an autograph book in case she came across someone famous in the airport. And I think this is what she got, like, Muhammad Ali's um autograph like she had some pretty famous autographs um in that book and then i remembered that that used to be a thing um because my parents bought we one i never went 
to a Disney World, but I think it was a Disney one, or they went somewhere and they got the autographs for me. Um, now that I think about it, they might have just handed me this autograph book and done the autographs themselves. Um, I'm like Donald Duck, I don't know. But I had an autograph book, and I remember taking it on some vacations in case, like, we ran into someone or something. I think I took it to Six Flags. Despite this, the male employees were uncomfortable with having a woman as a boss. She made them feel uncomfortable, even though she brought cakes and presents. She was trying to do everything she could to make everyone feel comfortable and not be a hostile environment. Because she was a woman, they were uncomfortable having to report to her. In the summer of 1992, Sue reported that she found a picture of a coffin with her name on it in graffiti in a public bathroom. Oh my goodness. They really... I'm surprised she sticks it out. I'm like, you know what? It's yeah, like... I would have been long gone, to be honest. This is why she's a badass. Because I would have to. I think any other person would have. But she was not going to let them bully her out. She was not going to let them win. She She was going to stick it to them. Yes, she was going to fight for what is right. At this time, she told Deborah that she was afraid of those harassing her. In turn, Deborah went with Sue to a meeting with the supervisor about the ongoing harassment. The supervisor brushed them off, and Sue left the meeting crying. Northwest claims they didn't know about the coffin incident and assigned someone to remove all graffiti daily. So instead of disciplining the people doing it, they were like, they're like band-aiding it. They're like, oh, the real problem is the people doing it? Um, okay, let's just have someone's new job being going around and cleaning the graffiti every day instead of being like, don't do graffiti. Dever spoke to Sue about leaving the job, so even her friend was concerned, starting to get concerned because she was oh, because she was so concerned about the level of harassment. But Sue told Deborah that she was not going to let them chase her out or bully her out. She felt strongly about this job. She was badass. She was not going to let them win. On September on September twelfth, nineteen ninety two, Sue was heading in for her eleven p.m. to seven a.m. shift when she bumped into her mom. Marlene described Sue as frustrated and patient and irritable. Just told her mom she had to get to work and quote I know they're going to give me a hard time, but I gotta let it go. Quote Another employee saw Sue that night and said that quote She was not normally out. She was not her normally outgoing self. She was agitated and quiet. Around 1 a.m. that night, Sue offered to run and get everyone's sandwiches, but she never came back. On Monday, September 14th, someone passing by spotted the pool of blood under the trunk of a car outside the auto body shop in Revere. This is when Sue was discovered. For a while, this is where the investigation fizzled out. In fact, Sue's family had no idea about any of the harassment she had faced at work. So, you know, they found out that she was murdered, stuffed into the trunk of her car. They have no idea that, I mean, in their minds, it's like, what? Why? Like, we thought everything was fine at work. We thought everything was good. Who could have done this? They didn't know any of this. Deborah explained... Quote, your parents are so proud of you doing 
your parents are so proud of you. Be what's that word? Gosh, dang it, Ken's. Your parents are so proud of you being a woman in what was always known as a man's job. My parents were the last people to know. I was embarrassed. I didn't want them to know that men actually treated me that way. Quotes. Which I don't blame them. I don't know if I would have told my parents. I probably would have because I told my rant to my mom about a lot of different things. She probably didn't want to tell them because they probably would have stirred the pot. They would have, like, went up there themselves. Or I think, yeah, or I think it was maybe, like, she was too afraid they'd talk her out of it. Be like, no, you can't go back. Or, no, you need to find another job. Mm -hmm. And they would want her to walk away, and she didn't want to walk away. Yeah. In fact, Sue's family only found out when Marlene finally entered Sue's room in the winter of 1993 to find a personal belonging to set out every time there was like a holiday or family birthday she always liked to carry something of Sue's so that she could always feel like she was a part of the family so she wanted to get something to set out with all the Christmas decorations in memory of Sue but this was also the first time she walked into her daughter's bedroom since then she expected only to find all of the Snoopy Sue collected but additionally she found Sue's journal that she kept detailing the harassment she was dealing with and how hard it must have been as a parent to learn that your daughter was putting up with all of this in your daughter's words in her personal journal after everything couldn't even imagine no no i'd be so mad i'd be so sad that she didn't tell me then i'd be mad and then I would go straight to the police. And what she did, she took it straight to investigators. The family also sued Northwest Airlines for sexual harassment. The Massachusetts Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination, MCAD, stepped in to, to investigate these claims. She took it all the way to the top. She said, you're not getting away with this. Good. They found out, or they they found that the airline had failed to adequately address the harassment and protect Sue. Go figure. Sending out little email reminders of, don't sexually harass today. Apparently doesn't solve the sexual harassment problem. Apparently harassers don't really care what emails say. Yeah. Go figure. Um, they also named three specific instigators. Joseph Nuzo, of course, his good buddy Robert Brooks, who smashed the radio. And another guy, Joseph Bertrera Jr. A settlement was reached in 1995 in which the airline paid Sue's family $75,000 and promised a $250,000 reward for information about her death. So they paid the family and... They were like, okay, we'll put up the reward money for the murder as the settlement. Which, I mean, that's kind of Marlene's thing. She didn't really want the money, but she was like, if you fund the information award, that would make me happier. So let's see what 75000 was at the time. Are we in 93? Okay. I got it. Go ahead. I, 
Don't. Did you look it up? Yeah. Okay, you don't get to play the game. Okay, Malik, did you look it up? No. Okay, what's your guess? Seventy-five thousand in nineteen ninety-three is how much today? Probably too close. Two hundred k. Okay. Hey, let. I would say like one twenty. Ooh, another good guess. It's $157,454.84. Wow, yep. that's higher than I thought it was going to be. Okay. Yep. Both are really good guesses. That was really good. Malik, come to that this game. Okay. So that's how much the family got was in today's money, roughly 150000 Cost however much 250 is. But I think that stayed the same. That didn't go with inflation. It's always 250 Because like I said, it's unsolved. So that money's still out there. If anyone knows anything. They also stated Northwest took many, many steps specific to Susan Tarosky's Skywiz to try to prevent this. And Northwest believes it did all it could under the circumstances. So that's what the company said. They're like, we did everything we could. We we did it. We did it all. Marlene called the money blood money. The lawyers for the three men denied they had anything to do with it. There's nothing that even remotely ties the murder to anyone at Northwest. That's what their lawyer said. To this, Marlene said, quote, I just know. I truly feel that someone over at Northwest knows about Sue's murder. I believe Susan probably knew who did it. End quote. But the sexual harassment was not the only motive behind Sue's death. May not have been. They don't know the real motive because they've never caught anyone. Not long after Nuzo was reinstated, him, Brooks, and Portrera, and seven others began stealing credit cards from the from mail that would go through the airport. The group would look through Northwest computer system for flights carrying more than 800 pounds in mail because credit cards always came in large shipments. Then when the mail was placed in the baggage hold, they would target mail specifically from Sioux Falls or Omaha because these are where the credit cards were processed. They placed the cards in their jackets or socks and took them back to the break room to divide them up. Some of the cards were sold to Fences and Revere. Isn't the... I used to know what the word fence meant in true crime when I used to watch. That's just like who sells them, right? I believe so, Kenzie. I believe so. I think, yeah, it's like that's fake IDs and credit cards. He's in that area. It's like a drug dealer for credit cards. Some were sold cheaply to other workers and the rest were kept by the group for their own frivolous purchases. In total, the group stole $7.5 million. God damn. They were doing back in... 7.5? 7.9 back in 1990s. So about 16 mil worth if we're going by the last numbers, if it doubles. Yeah. 
And the credit card scam became the center of an interagency investigation in 1991. So they were starting to catch on to this credit card thing in 91. Let's remember that passed away in 1992. So they were start already starting to investigate one year before Sue died. The credit card scam. But action didn't start happening until August 4th of 1992. Sue was killed in, December, in September of 1992 when some of the Northwest baggage handlers began to receive subpoenas for a grand jury. They had no one, no idea idea anyone was on to him. I don't even think anyone was, like, interrogated. I think they quietly collected their evidence and then was like, alright, pull them in, we're going to trial. We're going to go to the grand jury and see if we have enough to go to the trial. And that's when they started catching on that they were being investigated. So that was August 4th when people started receiving subpoenas. On August 14th of 1992, Nuzo was fired from Northwest of Officially because of the credit card scam. And he hired a lawyer after he learned he was the target of the grand jury. So he's like, oh shit, they know I'm the ringleader. Got a lawyer up ASAP. And you know what? Credit card scams are apparently enough to get fired at the airport, but not sexual harassment. Brooks later stated that Nuzo not only complained about his lawyer fees, but theorized that suit given her new position as supervisor, was working with the feds to catch the credit card thieves. So Nuzo hated Sue so much. Sue had nothing to do with this. Up into the... No one... No one we'll talk about it later. No one knows if Sue knew or not that the credit card scheme was happening. But the FBI have come out and said that A, she was not a part of it, and B, she was not a snitch for them. So other than that, they're like, we don't know if she knew or if she was catching on or what. So she was just a side character that was not a part of any of this. And Nuzo just assumed that it was her fault that he was being investigated. It cannot be my actions. It's her fault that I'm investigated, that I have to pay my lawyer money because I committed a felony, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, this is his whole theory. So now he's, you know, obviously directing his anger to Sue because she's obviously a rat. You know, like there wasn't seven other people involved that could have ratted. There were a lot of people to keep quiet, bro. One month later, she was dead. The credit card scam investigators make it clear that Sue was not an informant and they are unclear if she even knew about the scam. Many think the motive behind her death could have been to keep her from discovering the scam. Maybe she was getting a little too close. Maybe she was starting to ask the wrong questions. Whether the motive was because of her fight against the bullies that constantly harassed her or to keep the secrecy of the credit card scam, it's clear that someone from the airline harmed Sue that night or someone from the airline knows what happens to Sue. These are my words. Northwest merged with Delta in 2008. Who honors the $255,000 award for information today. 19 people were convicted in connection to the credit card scam, including Nuzo Brooks and Portrayal. But Sue's murder is still unsolved. So really, I mean, I was telling Taylor this last week when she was visiting, but this case is one of those unsolved cases that kind of 
it blatantly looks like it could be Saul. There's obviously a blatant person or persons that had something to do with this murder. And you're telling me 20 years later, it's still unsolved? 30 years later, it's still unsolved? Sound like a setup. I mean, basically what you're saying is that these men killed her because of she kept complaining about the sexual harassment. They killed her because she was maybe catching on to the credit card scam. Or you're telling me that some completely non-connected person or persons did this for some unknown motive and it was not connected to any of this that she had all three of these things happening in her life yeah i don't know that it was all just coincidental yeah she just coincidentally happened to be murdered by something that didn't have to do with the sexual harassment or the credit card scam i mean what do y'all think i obviously am very passionate about this and have my own opinion so let's hear from y'all what if one of the fitness people killed her? Since that's who they were selling the cards to. And they thought she she knew about it. Because I assume the fence people are a little bit more of like real-time criminal, big-time criminals. Maybe. I mean, that's a possibility, but how would the fence people know that Sue was involved? Or Sue knew? Had it still come from the airport? Yeah, they, they ratted on her. Yeah. It doesn't sound like any of these guys were geniuses. So how could they get away with a murder? You're telling me there's, like, no DNA, there's no evidence of the crime scene, you can't track them, anything they were doing that night? Were they at work? What were their alibis? There's no connection at all, like this was the perfect crime for them? Doesn't sound like they're smart enough to accomplish that. Did they ever, like, charge any of them or arrest any of them as suspects in the murder? No. Because if I mean, they did leave DNA, it doesn't matter because no one would have, there would be no DNA to compare to if they never get charged. I'm sure they were interrogated, but their DNA now is in the system because they were convicted for the credit card scam. True. We might need to call someone for some cross-matching. I would just assume that's what already happened, right? Because, like, Clearly, these men and her were involved in something, you would think, like, but maybe there was no DNA to, I mean, she wasn't sexually assaulted, um, so DNA from defensive wounds, did she scratch their skin, did they leave any fingerprints or anything in the car, I mean, they have no story, like, on how this happened. So you left to get sandwiches, so you ended up in the trunk, but there's no, like, timeline on what happened in between like did she go anywhere else where was she picked up you know i find it hard to believe that they all had alibis yeah i mean maybe they like planned it where they were all each other's alibis even though they weren't i mean maybe i don't know it just blows me hard to believe I know that they were, like, smart enough to outsmart the cops where they couldn't find anything that connected them. Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't sound like they would have been smart enough to do that. No. They suddenly get it. There's more to it than we know. Is there more to it, or is there not enough to it, and that's why they can't connect them? I, yeah, I think that's probably it. 
when I was in criminal justice, again, learned that the random murders are the hardest ones to solve because you don't know where to really start. But this wasn't random. It's a crazy, unless they're like, it was random, or she just happened to be sexually assaulted in a credit card scheme going on. I just think that's just a part of what was happening in her life, but she got killed randomly. Yeah. <laughs> it could be solved. I want it to be solved. Anyways. Alright. So, similarities, non-similarities to the actual episode, TV episode, the criminal episode? Pretty spot on. Oh yeah, they took it straight from the headline. They ripped it straight yeah. out of the headline. They, they pulled out the article, make this, turn it into an episode. Write the script for it. It was too spot on to think about it. Oh, you'd say thick wolf nose. Yeah, dun dun dun. <laughs> I mean, even the way that uh, the character in the show, Jenny, she acted the same way that everyone describes Sue acting in those like final days, weeks, months of just being agitated and irritable and not liking phone calls and not being the same. Even got that right. That's what I'm saying. It's too spot on, Ken's. Something's off about it. It's fishy. <laughs> he knows he did it. Dun, dun, dun. All right, anything else? No, not for the show. All right, you ready to announce next week's episode? Hit it. We are going back to our roots with a Law & Order SBU episode! Yes, sir! Yes. Season 7, episode 13, Blast! What about Blast? And with that, I'm your host, Kenzie Huseman. This is Crime on Primetime, and we are signing off! See ya later! See ya.